Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We'll continue with our discussion of Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. We're on the uh, 49th through 52nd Anucheda. Uh, basically here, uh, Srila Jiva Goswami is using four verses from the Bhagavatam and the commentary of uh, the illustrious Sridhar Swami, who is whose commentaries on the Bhagavatam were so much appreciated by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Um, as, uh, as a way of presenting the ideas of the, both the uh, instrumental, the mita, the, and the upadana, constituent parts of maya. So this evening we're going to find out what really is this instrumental part mean? What 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 is the instrumental part? The material part's pretty easy: earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego. Those we can wrap our mind about. But what actually is the is this other other instrumental part? Like a seems like a, a living part. So what exactly is that? So I wanted to start this evening by just going through the four verses themselves as presented um, in the Bhagavatam and then go back to where we were in the commentary. So the four verses are four verses from the 11th canto of the Bhagavatam wherein Lord Krishna is instructing Uddhava uh, in Sankhya philosophy. So there are four verses from the beginning of a chapter of the Bhagavatam, which is actually entitled Sankhya Philosophy. In the version that we'll read from, which is uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti's uh, uh, Bhagavatam. Uh, chapter 11, Canto 11, 24th chapter. Uh, as we know, Srila Prabhupada ended his commentary in the 10th canto, 14th chapter of the Bhagavatam. So I've decided from that point on I, I rely most heavily on Vishwanath's uh, commentaries on the Bhagavatam as opposed to those commentaries that were put together by, the, uh, by uh, Prabhupada's disciples. Uh, they were still quite young in, at that time and the commentary, the team that did the commentaries did not remain consistent throughout the whole presentation. In the beginning it was one group was prominent and then there was some switching. Uh, but I think for the most part uh, those commentaries which drew from uh, later uh, the commentaries of Vishwanath and Sridhar Swami and, and uh, Sanatan Goswami, Jiva Goswami, um, uh, can be more or less uh, accepted. In the beginning, there's a lot of commentary there by one commentator. Uh, and uh, Anyway, we all have our opinions. So, Sankhya philosophy from the 11th canto, 24th chapter. Translation. The Supreme Lord said, he's speaking to Uddhava, now I shall describe to you Sankhya, which has been perfectly established by ancient authorities. 
By understanding this, a person can immediately give up the illusion of identity with the body. Just by, under, just by this understanding of Sankhya, what actually are the constituents of material nature and how do they evolve? Because that's what Sankhya is, is these constituents of material nature and how they, the involvement of them. So Krishna proceeds. Originally during Satya Yuga, when all men were expert in spiritual discrimination, and also during the period of annihilation, the Lord was complete, one alone, without difference. So, as we went over in the last discussion, this period is a period of partial dissolution at the end of the four yuga cycle. So, at the end of the four yugas, Satya, Treta, Dwarfa, and Kali, um, after those after those four yuga cycles, a period of uh, some four million years, four million eight hundred thousand years, um, the there's a partial devastation, and then the yuga cycles start again. So that's the period that that Krishna is speaking of to Uddhava here, that at that time there's oneness. There's oneness both at the very beginning of Satya Yuga, oneness in that we're dealing with with the height of um, the mode of goodness within the Yuga cycle. So at the very beginning of Satya, everything's as good as it's going to get as far as transcendental awareness. So good, in fact, that there's there's hardly any involvement in the modes of material nature. Hardly any at all. So much so that it's almost like the period of devastation or partial devastation in this case, where the the differentiation uh, between matter and spirit is not prominent hardly at all. In other words, the, the consciousness of the jivas at that time is very much in tune with the supreme. Uh, and then from there, the yuga cycles unfold, and unfortunately they unfold in the downward direction. So from Satya Yuga, when everything is, is very pure, uh, and the consciousness of everyone is very focused in oneness on the Supreme, uh, from there, things go downhill. Through the four yuga cycles until the end of Kali Yuga, at which time, well, everybody is so much off base, so much turned away from Krishna, that there's, there's, hard, there's no transcendental awareness left. And the Lord himself comes and finishes off the population. And then there's this partial devastation. And then it starts again. So we have this cycling. And then we also have the cycles within cycles. So this is just, this is like the, this is the, this is the mini cycle, we could say. It's a very simple one. Four yugas and then. But a thousand of those yugas cycles together 
makes up one day of Brahma. And then he rests. As long as he was awake, he rests for the same period. So he's, he's, he, he takes rest, and that's another dissolution. So first we have the dissolution at the end of the four yuga cycles. Then we have a dissolution at the end of 1,000 yuga cycles, which is the day of Brahma, which lasts for the duration of his day. It's an equal period of time. So, again, a second dissolution. And then, Brahma lives for 100 years. 100 years times 365 days times 1,000 yuga cycles. You can start to see we're talking about a long duration of time. And that is the time that comprises one universe's manifestation. Then all the universes are wrapped up. So there's uncountable universes coming forth from Karnadakshai Vishnu, Mahavishnu, and in those universes there's a Brahma in each one, and the duration is the duration of Brahma's days and nights and lifetime, which is makes up a whole so we have, now we're talking about three devastations. <laughs> devastation at the end of the Yuga cycles, devastation at the end of a thousand of those, which is Brahma's day, De- devastation at the end of a hundred years of Brahma's life, which is a hundred times 365 times the thousand Yuga cycles. Then, that's, that's, that, then the whole show's wrapped up. The whole material manifestation is wrapped up and it rests back in Karnadakshai Vishnu. He takes a little rest and then he he's excited to do it all again and again the universes come out and again he enters into each universe as Garbodakshai Vishnu and Brahma is born from his navel and then Haranyagarbha, the conglomerate of all these jivas are sent into the universe and they come out from Brahma as he creates suitable vehicles for them to experience where they left off in the last total devastation uh, their karmic accumulated karmic impressionable position which makes up material life. So, that one period we're talking about at the end, at the end of the, the four cycles of yugas and at the very beginning of such yuga, everything's in more or less in spiritual harmony with the Supreme. Krishna goes on. That one entity remaining free from material dualities divided himself into two categories – Prakriti and Jiva, which are beyond words and mind and which are real. So Krishna is saying that one Paramatma, that one Paramatma at that time 
he manifested, he gave facility to material nature to, to conduct itself, and he did that through expanding his energies into two categories, Jivatattva and Bahiranga, or Tatasta and Bahiranga. So it's, these both are Krishna. They're Krishna's energy. So he expanded himself. He, he put, put himself out into the expansion of his energies. One being Jiva, a conscious portion of himself, and one being an unconscious portion of himself. Of these two categories of manifestation, one is Prakriti, which, is in, which embodies cause and effect. The other is the conscious living entity designated as the Jiva. So these are the four verses that are being used by Jiva Goswami with the commentary of Sridhar Swami. Now we went first through the first and about half of the second of those four verses. And we will... We will continue now in our discussion um, with Sridhar's commentary on the second of the verses. Now, the second of the verses can also be translated as this. In the period of dissolution, prior to the new cycle of yugas, ayuga, when the yugas aren't working, it's ayuga, minus yuga. And in the beginning, during Satya Yuga, when discrimination was highly evolved, spiritual discrimination meaning the ability of the living entity to know what is and what isn't. So discrimination is very highly evolved at the beginning of Satya Yuga and from there it goes downhill. Consciousness, the seer, as well as presentational phenomena, the seen, were one only and undifferentiated. So close was, was what was seen and the seer that was hardly distinguishable. And we said, as an example of how, how that indistinguishable ability is, we can look at, a, at, at the Kumars or, or a, a Sukadev Goswami, even prior to being influenced by Bhakti, the Kumars, they remained young boys. They were never attracted to anything in the world. And Sukadev Goswami could walk naked and, and not be influenced by the fact that he was chased around by kids and insulted and, you know, went by the pond where young damsels were, were bathing and wasn't even influenced in any way. So we're talking kind of what we would say fully in tune with nature. So that's what we're talking about, fully in tune. It's not, material nature is not affecting them. So that's, the, that's what's being discussed in this verse. Um, so I'm going to read what Swami said again. We did read it once. We'll read it again, and then we're going to take the discussion a little deeper. Uh, Swami compet, comments. This is Sridhar Swami's comment on this verse from the Bhagavatam. A toe, as well as, is used here in the sense of total, the totality of conscious subjects together with the totality of presentational phenomena. 
Here, consciousness, gyan, refers to the seer, drasta, with which the totality of presentational phenomena, artha, in the form of the scene, drishya, were one only, without any differentiation whatsoever, meaning that seer and scene were in complete identity in Brahman. So, the presentational field comes to us through our senses. And that presentation is colored by the defects of, of the human condition. So, those defects are there and they greatly influence what we see. So, we have imperfect senses. Well, that really puts us in a bad position from the very beginning. What we see, hear, taste, smell, touch is different from one person to another, from one body to another. Some bodies have more facility than another body. Some bodies like have hardly any facility at all, like the plants. You know, what? how much can a blade of grass can't even, you know, I guess it could blow in the wind, but I mean, it's not going to get up and go to the other side of the field, you know. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't have a girlfriend. It doesn't it doesn't eat anything except what it takes from the... Anyway, so you get the point. It's really simple. The senses are not... They're, they're imperfect at best. And even when they are at their best in any one circumstance, and we sometimes say, well, the, the, the hearing of a dog is the best and the, the eyesight of the eagle is is the absolute best that's available in the, you know, whatever. We could go through the species of life and look at different sense objects and say, you know, this this living entity in this body has the best sense of smell or the best of this or the best of that or the best, but, you know, there's trade-offs in all of them. What we like to say is, well, if you take the best of the best of all of them and add a, add in the topmost level of intelligence, then you get a human, then we call that the human body. And that's, that we think is kind of like, it's, well, even if you don't have the best of the best of all the senses, you certainly, with the human body, want to enjoy the best. And we see that in the human body, we try to imitate all the other bodies, like, the aquatics, we want to dive in the sea, so we put a tank on our back and we go under the water. And You know, we want to fly in the air and, well, good luck with that. <laughs> it's worked sometimes, it doesn't work sometimes. As long as it works, it's good. When it doesn't, well, yeah, that's another thing. So we want the best of all those. So human, human life gives, affords us some opportunity in that regard. So, these four defects. Senses are imperfect. Since they're imperfect, we can be illusioned. Since we're illusioned, we can make mistakes. And the other propensity is we cheat, either consciously or unconsciously. 
I like the way that it's presented uh, when, when it's said that cheating is a misrepresentational bias. We carry with us a lot of luggage in, in, our, in our mind-body complex and in all the experiences that we've had with this mind-body complex in all these species of life, in all these different human species of life, and in the cultural setting in which this particular life has been placed. So we come with a misrepresentational bias. And that's why when you go to the court of law, there's a period where they try to select a group of people that have this have a bias towards a particular way of thinking, either for or against the defendant, the person that committed a crime. So the defense wants, you know, a law and order person that doesn't like that kind of particular uh, infringement upon human society, and the the defense wants the liberal juror who's going to say, well, everybody does it, you know, we, do we really want to, you know, put this away for 20, this guy away for 20 or 40 years for doing the same thing that we'd all do if we had the opportunity? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> we have this misrepresentational bias. So, these four defects make it impossible for us to have a perfect perfect knowledge within, within the material environment. Now, we just talked about a period of time, and this verse that Krishna spoke is talking about when that those four defects were at the absolute minimum, so much so that they were practically unperceivable at all. Everybody was in harmony. So, this method of acquiring knowledge, and if we go back to our tattvas and dharva, we know that there are different ways of acquiring knowledge, and Jiva schooled us on those ways, and he basically took the ten that are commonly accepted uh, in the uh, Indian schools of thought. He took the ten, and he, he said, well, really, they can be taken down to three. Three would be uh, pratyaksha, sensory perception, uh, um, inference and subda or, or pure sound coming from the spiritual realm. So when we talk of pratyaksha or the acceptance of, of sensory perception as a means of acquiring knowledge, when it's executed under the jurisdiction of the modes of material nature, then it's imperfect. The four imperfections come into, come into being. They come into play. That's why we don't say that sensory perception alone can lead you to conclusive knowledge doesn't mean it can't give you any knowledge, but it can't give you perfect knowledge. 
And back to Tattvasandarva, Jiva Goswami went through a long dissertation in that Sandarva, showing us that if you want knowledge, you have to rely on scripture, because what? It's a purusheya. It's not affected by these four defects. It's, it's non-human. It's above the defects. But there is also a pratyaksha. So that pratyaksha uh, is avidusha in Sanskrit. Avidusha. That's regular sensory perception coming to us through our imperfect senses, uh, which is affected by the four defects of material existence. But there's also perfect sensory perception. And that perception is vidusha. So it's avidusha and vidusha. Vidusha prakshaksha is, well, that's what God experiences. That's, that's perfect sensory perception. He doesn't have imperfect senses. His senses are perfect. And therefore, he's never in illusion. And he doesn't have any tendency to cheat. He doesn't have to. Well, maybe he does, but that's in Leela. <laughs> but we're talking tattva here, philosophically. So if he wants to be cheated, or if he wants to cheat, he's the best of the cheaters, that he can be cheated in the best way. But it's, it's, it all falls under the jurisdiction of his, his Leela. He does mention in the Bhagavad Gita that he is the best cheat. <laughs> So, avidusha and vidusha pratyaksha. So, I bring this up because this vidusha pratyaksha is what we're talking about during the ayuga and at the very beginning of satya yuga. That's why it can be said there is they're in harmony with the supreme, with the brahman at the beginning of that yuga. That there's that's before the influence of the modes of material nature takes any significant makes any significant impact on the living entities or the or humanity i guess we would say so we also look to the pure people as being what they also have perfect sense perception so when we look to the Sukadev, who is what? A Jivan Mukta. He's liberated from the modes of material nature, the influence of the modes of material nature, even while in the human body. So his sense perception is perfect. So it's Vaidusha at that time, just like Krishna's. Or we also look at the, at the, at the Sadhu, and we accept what he says as his sense perception is pure in relationship to the pure. And we'll leave it at that because we don't, as aspiring transcendentalists, we're practical-minded. We realize that this, the guru, he has both his involvement in material affairs, but he also, but his primary, our primary involvement with him is only for that 
perfect sense perception that he has, that perfect ability to instruct so much so that we accept what he says as non-different from the Supreme. So, anything that the Guru says is equivalent to what's coming from the Veda. Or, we even say, well, it's kind of better because it's tailor-made for me. So, it's better for me. I can't understand the Veda. I can't understand the scripture without his guidance. I can only go so far with my mind intelligence, you know, but he, he can... I come before him and I offer my doubts and he dissipates my doubts. He's able to explain perfectly. So he's a tailor-made God just for me when it comes to giving me guidance and nourishment in my spiritual life. So we look at that as, as again, Vaidusha. It's, it's, it's beyond the four defects of material nature. Such a guru. So, this divine perception, it's kind of like samadhi, right? Like Sukadev, we say walking samadhi. The consciousness of such a personality, of such a sadhu, of such a, 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 a glorious Vaishnava is what? It's, it's total in sync with the Supreme. There's nothing else there except this, this desire, so much so that when, when the spiritual master, or if we have a spiritual master, in the final stages of devotional development, and here again we could talk about spiritual masters because they come in all shapes and sizes. They come from all domains. Sometimes Krishna himself will come as the guru. He, he himself personally will come as the guru. Radha will come as a guru. The manifest as a guru. Sometimes some of the gurus are not even, that come down into human society, aren't even in the category of Jivatma. They're the Lord Swarup Shakti directly, expansions of his internal potency. And for the most part though, gurus are just like us, advancing sadhikas, but they're there. They, 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 we call a sad guru. He's, he's already attained perfection. In, and if we're so fortunate as to get an Uttama Adhikari guru, one that's already perfect, what's that mean? He's already what we call a jiva, jivan mukta in, Vaish, in Vaishnav, pure, unalloyed devotee, so much so that he can't discriminate between who a devotee is and who a devotee isn't. That's the kind of unity that's being spoken of in this verse. But for our benefit, he turns off his perfection to, to he turns down the burner of the fact that he's completely in the fire of Krishna consciousness, he turns down the burner to the point where he can discriminate. And his discrimination can lead to our self-realization because he can give us direction. Because 
his consciousness is completely pure unless he he comes down from the Uttama platform to the Madhyam platform, to the middle platform. If he didn't do that, he couldn't give us any direction because he wouldn't view himself as any different from ourselves. He sees no distinction. So, Sri Sukadev Goswami and Srila Vyasadev perceived the complete reality known as Bhagavan, along with his abode and associates. Trans-empirical seership transcends the four defects. Trans-empirical seership. Beyond the senses, empirical senses, trans, above, beyond, greater than, the empirical seership of material existence. Uh, that means beyond the influence of the four defects. Can you say the words together one more time? Trans-empirical. Trans-empirical. Or tra- we say transcendental. Seership. How you see things in the world. So how's the Uttama Bhakta see things? Sees everybody as Krishna's devotee. Everything, everyone is and everything is serving Krishna perfectly. How's the Jivan Mukta, the Brahmavadi, see everything? Everything is one in the Supreme. So whatever, Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavaniti, Sabjate. There's perfections in all these three spiritual disciplines or ways of seeing the Supreme. But the seership of all those three is equivalent in the fact that it's beyond the four defects of material nature. Reading on with Swami's comments, Sridhar Swami's comments. That which is here referred to as Brahman is the same referred to as Bhagavan in the verse of the third canto. So now Sridhar Swami in his commentary is is bringing in a verse from the third canto of the Bhagavatam to further elaborate his explanation of this second verse from the eleventh uh, canto. Uh, what is it, seventh chapter we're at? Twenty-fourth chapter, I'm sorry. Uh, so the verse from the third canto, prior to the world appearance, there was only the all-pervading complete person, Bhagavan, the self of all selves. So he's talking about, again, everything was wrapped up in God. There was only God at that time. In both places, the object of exposition is verily the same one reality as stated in the verse. Those who have realized absolute reality, which is non-dual consciousness, advayagyana, refer to it as Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. So he's taken from 1 to 11. Vananti tattva vidas tattva myas jnana madvaya brahmati paramatmati bhagavaniti sabjate. This will be made quite evident at the end of this chapter. So Sridhar Swami is commenting on the 11th chapter and he's saying at the end of the chapter Krishna is going to make it quite clear. He's going to summarize and talk about the 
the a likeness a beta beta a beta so these two ideas how to reconcile these two ideas and come away with a perfect understanding of tattva this specific tattva as well we look at it as as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's specific contribution to the philosophy of Vaishnavism simultaneously one and different achinta beta beta tattva but here Sridhar Swami we can see why Lord Chaitanya liked his commentary on the Bhagavatam here he's talking about it in his commentary on the Bhagavatam before the time of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu so it's already it's there it's in it's in the, the Bhagavatam but it wasn't emphasized to the extent that it became what it became integral to a presentation of philosophy based on the Vedanta Sutra to such an extent that it would create a Sampradaya. And it's important for us to recognize Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did not start another Sampradaya. He simply embellished the teachings of the Brahma, Madhva, and then he added some embellishments for the Gaudiya Sampradaya. Brahma, Madhva, Gaudiya Sampradaya. That's the Sampradaya we're in. So it's not like he he, he, he introduced anything new, but, but he did emphasize things in such a way that Prem Bhakti, Prem Prayojan, could be emphasized as the primary um, Prayojan. Prem Bhakti is the primary attainment for human for for human society for existence. In other words, loving Krishna unconditionally, as the gopis love Krishna, and the cowherd boys, and Krishna's parents. But we'll let Balavan handle that. Where the reality is clearly described as existing in the form of Bhagavad, with the words "by me." who am the witness of the suchness of cause and effect, or of consciousness and phenomena. Thus, the process of Sankhya, which cuts all the knots of doubt, has been explained through positive and negative inferential insight. By me, Bhagavan, who am the witness of the suchness of cause and effect, or of consciousness and phenomena. And that's the final verse of this 24th chapter. In anticipation of the question, when, with the seer and the seen, one without distinction, Bhagavan responds in this verse. Now Jiva Goswami's writing himself. In the beginning during Sachi Yuga, when discrimination was highly evolved, and in that interim period, a Yuga, during the period of dissolution prior to the new cycle of Yuga. Goes on to the third verse, which we've read. Swami comments on the third verse. Now the third verse is that one great Brihat, undivided in singular truth, which is beyond speech and mind, was divided into two in the form in the form of its Maya, the perceptible world, and its results, 
the individuated expansions, the jivas. So now we're starting to see this first evolvement of, of the material manifestation and this is this is the beginning of the explanation. He was using this to introduce us. Okay, let's let's look at it was all one. It was all Krishna. And then it was when was it all Krishna? Well, it's it, it's all Krishna. We can look to this little period of time, or we can look to the other devastation or the other devastation. In all those three devastations, it's all just Krishna. He wraps it all up. But how's it unfold? That's what we want to know. What is the material energy? How's it come about? So if it comes about first, first this distinctiveness between the the Lord distinguishes himself through his potencies, through his shaktis, uh, in the form of the perceptible and the result, its manifestation. So Swami comments, in order that the great Brahman could become accessible to speech in the mind, it became divided into two forms, as Maya and as its individuated expansions, Vilas, where Maya means what is perceptible, and the result, Fala, means its manifestation. Jiva Goswami comments. Here, the compound Tanmaya Fala Rupeda is broken into two with the pronoun Tat Its of Brahman being applied to both the terms that follow. Where Maya refers to the phenomenal world as an object of perception and Fala result or fruit. To a manifestation of Brahman, Tat Prakash Prakasa that means that the object that is perceptible to Brahman is his maya, whereas that which is a specific or individuated manifestation of Brahman is the result. In other words, it's Jiva saying, see the distinction. Krishna is met, is in order for in order for the whole material energy to play out, he, he has to make this distinct distinguishing through his potencies. He has to push out through his potencies matter and that those individuated conscious portions of himself, the jiva, ourself. And that was called the result. In this instant, yes. Now the fourth verse of the four. Of these two, the one, one referred to uh, as presentation of phenomena, refers to prakriti consisting of two aspects. Finally, we're getting to the, to the heart of the matter, which we've been trying to get to. What's the difference between the, what is it, namita? Instrumental. Instrumental. Namita and the constituent Upadana aspects of Maya. So now this fourth verse, it's Krishna is actually introducing the terminology. 
of these two, the one referred to as the presentation phenomena, artha, refers to prakriti consisting of two aspects, namely cause and effect. While consciousness, jnana, refers to a completely different status of being, which is called purusha. So now, material nature, we see one is divided into two, maya, the maya, bahiranga shakti, is divided into two aspects, the material aspect and the instrumental aspect, and the other is the jiva. So that's that's why we've gone through these four verses. Sure. Now we have, finally in this fourth verse, Krishna bringing out that the material energy has, Maya has two aspects. The material aspect and the, what do we call it, the ingredient cause and the instrumental cause. So, Maya has two aspects. And the other that constitutes Involvement in the material world is conscious, and we call that the jiva. You call it the purusha, right? Purusha, right. So, so we're talking about so the matter being like the really physical part, and then the other part is the mind. Um, well, that's what we're getting to. What is the other part? What is the what is this instrumental? What is it? Because it's not conscious. It's not conscious, but it sure seems to have a lot of influence. It's 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 constituted of the influence of the three modes of material nature. What's it? What's it? What is it made of? What is the instrumental part of Maya? Here, Swami comments: Out of these two individuated parts, one is Prakriti, which has two aspects in the form of cause and effect. So when we return. When we refer to Prakriti, we're talking about Maya. Okay? And it has both cause and effect. Similarly, in the Vishnu Purana, it is said, and this will end up the Anucheda. O Brahmana, two other forms, Pradhana and Purusha, appeared from the intrinsic nature of Vishnu, who is transcendental. Swami also comments on this statement. From the intrinsic nature of Vishnu, who is transcendental, devoid of any conditioning, appeared these two other forms, Pradhana and Purusha. So Maya is equivalent to Pradhana. Okay? And Purusha is equivalent to Jiva. All right? Which were described earlier. The pronoun other means made out of or through the influence of Maya. So we'll end up with what it is. (laughs) I could save it. I'm going to go to the commentary and read a little bit. And uh, the extrinsic energy called Maya has two divisions, namely Namita and Upadana. The three gunas are Namita, or instrumental cause, and Pradana, which transforms this matter, is the Upadana, or the constituent cause. So Pradana. To explain this, Sri Jiva refers to Bhagavan Sri Krishna's instructions on Sankhya philosophy to Uddhava. During this period, the Jivas have no physical bodies. 
and their residual karma called destiny or daiva remains with them. This daiva is instrumental in bringing forth corresponding new bodies in the next cycle of creation. This is the instrumental cause of matter. It's not, because we're not our karma. Karma itself is separate from us, but it sure has an influence on the environment. Does it have an influence on us? Only as much as we buy into it. The instrumental cause of material nature, what makes the world go round, is karma. Of course, Krishna makes the world go round, ultimately, but this is the instrumental part of material nature. And this distinction between the jiva and its karma, and karma and matter, is what we've been dis- working ourselves up to in this point. Jiva Goswami is introducing us to what is material nature. Well, let's start here. There's the jiva that's in material nature. It's pure. Because we just went over all of its intrinsic characteristics. Was any of those intrinsic characteristics karma? No. no. It doesn't have karma. But it involves itself in the world and its involvement produces actions and reactions instrumental in moving matter. It moves, hell and earth moves because of karma. We are not karma. We invest in the world in actions and reactions which are karma. But that's not us. But that's what makes the material world going round. That's the instrumental cause of material nature. That's the unconscious, apparently fully conscious. Well, I guess the easy, one easy way to understand what is karma, it's that voice in your head that's telling you to do this or to do that. That's part of it. Just a small part. But it's not you. Because it changes. At one time it's telling you act like this, and another time act like that. At one in one environment, it's forcing the living entity to work in one way. In another environment, in another way. So now we have this very very complicated involvement, which needs to be and is going to be unraveled to the extent that it will nurture our spiritual understanding. We will not be able to fully unravel karma as the instrumental part of material nature through our study of the Paramatma Sandarbha. It's, you cannot, it, it's like a banyan tree, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita. You can't find the beginning or the end of it. It's endless <laughs> in its total involvement. So I'll stop there for this evening. Any questions?
where to start. <laughs> so. so that being said, that we are not our, you know, we are not our karma, obviously. Um, you know you're not that body. How important or how it seems like that um, our um, understanding of um, of our certain like our patterns, uh, which is uh, based on our interaction <coughs> with material nature over and over. So this pattern that we created in our life is that is that. Um, How important is it? It seems like it is important to to work through it, but yet it, it, it it's not important it's at all. But then again, you got to deal with the with the with the you know the hand you're dealt. We could say, well, it's not important at all. Yeah, well, if you're at that level, if you're at the level of going off to the Himalayas and simply sitting and chanting, unlimited. If you're ready to go into bhajan and ready just to chant and do nothing else, then it's not important at all. But if you have other things that are still, we're so much attached to, then ripping ripping the plant out of the soil of material nature, it's, it's, that's what we ultimately want to do. But you have to have the soil of spiritual life, of the pot of spiritual life to fully sink it into, you know, Unless you have that, then we could have problems. We could have withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> you have to contend with that. You may need methadone uh, to get you over the over the hill. You may need to go to uh, you know uh, what do you call that? Triple A meetings. A you know. AA every night to begin with and then once a week and then once a month or whatever you see what I'm saying so we have to we have to work with the hand that we're dealt and gradually realize that's our objective that's that's the priojan we have to engage the abhideya to to get there and we have to have the firm foundation and knowledge like Jeeva's giving us from the Bhagavatam here Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan. It would be nice if it could all at once just merge into Japa or merge into deity worship and not not be involved at all in the world around us. You know. You know, the verse was once you understand this, Sankhya, then you know, you'll be free from Well, yeah, but you have to fully understand it. You have to fully understand how it's influencing you. And your understanding has to be so well, and your discrimination has to be so fine. That's what Krishna's talking about. Discrimination that's so fine, it's like at that period of a yoga. It's like at the beginning of Satya Yuga. You don't see anything but me. So if you if you're at that level of discrimination where you don't see your 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 vision, your darshan, your your spiritual, you know, shastra chakshus, you see everything through the eyes of Scripture. And you see everything through the lens of pure and unalloyed devotion. When you have that, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a walk in the park. But we 
sometimes have time, hard time even finding the park. <laughs> Thank you so much for your association. Thank you.